This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Howie, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Cool. So today, practice. I'd like to talk about um, how you practice, some of the ideas and approaches that have come around practice in Systema and possibly in other things, if that's all right. Sounds good. Cool. So how do you practice? You practice a lot of things, um, not just Systema. You're an accomplished violinist. You're an accomplished ultra runner now. Or like it's, it's, it's particularly relative to a few years ago. You're an accomplished ultra runner. So right. um, what things have you picked up over the years that have helped you practice more effectively and more efficiently? Um, I'd say the, the main thing is to pay attention while I'm doing it. Cause it's so, you know, especially something like running where you feel like, well, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so I could, I could train without practicing. I could just run miles and miles and miles and good things will happen. And my legs will get stronger. I'll develop, you know, the right, uh, musculature and the right, you know, chemicals flowing through my body to support that. And I'm remembering a run that you and I did shortly before a marathon, and you were kind of giving me pointers, things that I wouldn't normally think about, like mm-hmm. the big toe is the, the, the thing for speed and how you move the feet this way or that way and posture and balance and breathing mm-hmm. and all this stuff that, that kind of flies out the window when I'm on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And so the best practice comes when I get off of autopilot and say, well, I'm going to focus on something. Yeah. Yeah, and interestingly, that's that's mostly what's been backed up by a lot of the research on how we practice and how we how we learn in the brain, right? Um, that in the first instance, when, whenever we try something new, we're putting a lot of effort into it, and we have that kind of prefrontal cortex kind of concentration, and it's that effortful kind of um, like what it's a conscious competence, right? You can you can do it, but you have to maintain conscious awareness in order to do it well. Um, but once you can run. Right, and you want to put in some miles. It's it's very hard to maintain that kind of uh, conscious awareness over a lot of time. So very very quickly, your body gets lazy and and chunks a whole bunch of information that it thinks it needs about running or anything else into the cerebellum and other areas, and then puts a lot of it on autopilot. And then the danger is that if you just trust that autopilot, then that's the level of running you've arrived at, and you never get any further. Right, and then you you multiply that by many many miles, and, and probably. You know, you, your technique's not perfect. You could be more efficient. You could be doing other things. And, and if you kind of sit into that, then you might be in trouble. But then there's this other school of thought that actually the most important thing you can do is just show up and run, right? <laughs> just to put those hours in, those 10,000 hours. So there seems to be some tension between this idea of how much do I allow the autopilot to function and just show up and do it? And how much do I uh, maintain this kind of mainly retentive, crazy focus on the, the perfection of what I'm doing? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I don't think it's a uh, either or. Right. If you don't show up, you don't get to be anally retentive. Yeah. Right. And you know, you can. You know, we used to say when I when I was a teacher, and there were older teachers who had been there for twenty, thirty years who were telling me what to do, and I thought they were full of it. Hmm. I would tell myself they don't have thirty years of experience; they have one year of experience that they've repeated thirty times. Hmm. Right. So it's it's you know you, there are things in life that we don't need to optimize. Yeah. Right. Like I don't have to become a great shaver or toothbrusher. Right. Mm. Like good enough is good enough. The question is, are, you know, if, if we're doing systema, are we doing it just 
to maintain fitness, in which case you can achieve a certain level and then just sort of push at that level at that edge. Mm. You can do it for self-defense and at the point at which you feel like you're the baddest boy in the bar and no one's going to mess with you, Mm. it's good enough. Or if you take it on as sort of a lifelong pursuit as as i think you and i have and, and most of the people we know as you know especially coming out of the um this the toronto hq school which is heavily infused with let's say a religiosity about human frailty and failing and humility mm-hmm. and and always seeking to be better while acknowledging that we're never going to achieve perfection mm-hmm. then you know every minute that we can put into presence into awareness rather than just dialing it in or going to the gym and, you know, running on the treadmill and watching a movie, Mm. um, then we're getting that much more out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. That's interesting. My opponent is like that, you know, you can be a a sufficiently skilled toothbrusher or sufficiently skilled, um, fitness enthusiast or something like that. But I'm not sure. I mean, I I agree with that in one way and and I don't, while we should be kind of like striving for, kind of improvement in most things most of the time i think um i think i mean you could be brushing your teeth you think you're brushing your teeth are really really well to a certain degree and most of the research on teeth brushing says that essentially the amount of time that you put in that makes the biggest difference right that if you put three minutes in then you'll pro- probably cover more ground and remove more plaque than if you don't um but like my dentist for example has sort of said that actually the the most significant thing you can do is floss and if you've just flossed and never brushed your teeth you'll probably be fine because most of the active mastication and chewing removes most of the plaque and food that you get off it and that actually skipping flossing is the worst thing that you could do if you you have you had to do one thing a day and you did decide you didn't want to brush your teeth i'm not advocating this by the way yeah. um being british i already get already get enough jip about my teeth but, um, but the point is that um you can do that and, and there's other things that you can do like if you brush your teeth too much like after every single meal with high fluoride toothpaste you can get fluoridosis right and you can like destroy the enamel on your teeth or you can uh, grind away the the gum tissue like close to the edge of the teeth and that kind of stuff so you can be a crap toothbrusher right <laughs> and think that you're doing fine and that kind of stuff and i think the same thing is true with fitness i mean it wasn't so many years ago that people would just uh you know if they wanted to learn how to lift olympic weights they'd go into a gym they'd read the chart or something right? and then they'd start picking up this heavy weight as many times as they could in the way shown by the chart or something and then after a while maybe they get a trainer if they really had trouble but they're like man how hard can it be it's picking things up and putting them down and then with crossfit and kind of this whole movement that's come since then with there's been this renaissance in olympic lifting and now people are you know spend years perfecting their squat technique or their clean and jerk technique and stuff like that is there, is there not scope for improvement even in things that are very very simple sure but yes you still have to pick and choose and then Mm -hmm. if if you want to improve on something you have to figure out what are your metrics metrics of success Mm. so if i'm trying to lift heavier and heavier weights and and i'm at 150 pounds and my back is hurting then if i want to get to 200 i'd better fix something yeah right if i'm running if i'm running ultra marathons but my last 10 miles are misery with me dragging a limp Mm. then i need to work on my form yeah. So, you know, if I go, if I just brush my teeth and I, and I don't get any feedback, hmm. then I'm just, you know, how do I know whether I'm doing too much or too little or wearing down my gums? It's like, you know, we call it blind archery mm-hmm. where there's, if there's no bullseye. So if I go to the dentist and the dentist says, Hey, take it easy on this, or you need to do more here, or here's where I'm seeing plaque or cavities, you know, take care of this Mm. with it's, it's the, it's, so it's, it's all, it's, it's awareness, but it's also the feedback. And I think that's kind of also shown out in, in, in the research that if the the more direct and, um, 
immediate the feedback, mm. the the better you're going to learn. Right, which I guess speaks to the the value of having a coach or somebody to correct you, see you from the outside while you're training. Right, it's difficult to see that in yourself all the time because for example the first feedback you might get if you're doing weightlifting wrong time and time again yeah. might be a back sprain or a or an extruded yeah. disc or something right you might and that, that might be too late by that time to fix it or you might lose a lot of training time in recovery and all that kind of stuff yeah this also i think is interesting because it speaks to this whole idea of do you just approach the thing as a whole or do you chunk it into little bits right there's this kind of school of thought that the most important thing that you can do is just approach the training as a whole it's that whole kind of Jeff Colvin talent is overrated. Just show up and put in 10,000 hours of deliberate practice um, and you'll achieve what you're going to achieve. Right. And he gives examples of that, you know, of people that have just literally just put the graft in, in various ways. And then he kind of talks a little bit more about what makes the really elite performers really, really truly elite. Right. Um, and usually it's that they put in a minimum of 10,000 hours of, of, of practice, but it's also that they, they like to practice between the practice, right? It's their lives. They don't just kind of put it down afterwards. I think he gives example of, um, violinists, a famous New York school of, um, you know, concert music and, um, and how they're all, they all started with about the same base level of ability. And we can talk a little bit about talent too late later on. Um, but the ones that truly excelled were the ones that didn't just play their scales and put in their prerequisite number of hours per day, but in between they were just always, if you pardon the pun, fiddling around, right? <laughs> they just like picking the thing up and kind of messing around with it in between. And it, it was them that seemed to, and then you could ask the question, are they improving because they enjoy it? Or are they putting more practice in because they enjoy it? And then it goes that way. But in any case, it seems like the if you had to pick out a single factor, then the amount of net time you put in just showing up and putting it in is probably the single biggest one. But then you have this other school of thought, the kind of Tim Ferriss, let's find this the minimum effective dose of, of shortcutting this whole thing and like pull out the you know the tools and tactics of elite performance type thing. Um, and this whole idea of kind of uh, trying to chunk together essential skills, you isolate the skills you need within it, and then you chunk together those skills and then you test them under pressure. And that, that might be a more efficient way of learning something than just showing up and putting it and, and putting the time in. Have you got any kind of thoughts on that? Not really. I mean, they, mm. they both make total sense when you talk about them. Yeah. Um, mm. I'm sure they both lead to, you know, excellent results. Um, I think it might be a matter of personal preference. I mean, especially for those of us who aren't trying to become the best in the world at something, mm. you know, like a lot of Tim Ferriss's early stuff was, let me figure out how to, um, you know, find loopholes in the rules so I can right. become world-class without actually yeah. like being good at something. I think, mm. you know, are, are we doing it for, for ego? Are we doing it for status? Mm. Are we doing it for, for some refiner's fire you know, a lot of my Sistema training has become how much suck can I embrace? Because mm. a lot of it hurts. Mm. Yeah. And, and at first, I, you know, I'd, I'd go to the classes and we'd be doing some sort of sucky sequence where I was constantly getting hurt or having trouble breathing or something. Mm. And I kept like looking for the clock, like, okay, how much time is left? How much time is left? Mm. And it really, it took a, a conscious effort to say, I'm, I'm going to start thinking about this in a way, in a, in a reframe mm. that makes it enjoyable, that I'm, I'm building my self-esteem here. I'm building mm. my stamina. I'm building my ability to withstand things. Mm. And to, I'm training my nervous system to not freak out every time something doesn't go exactly my way. Mm. Um, you know, building a new habit of perseverance kind of thing or, or something like that. Yeah, see, mm. seeing, you know, just, just reframing the purpose of why I was there. 
Mm. Like I no longer think like when I first started working with you, it was like to gain superpowers. <laughs> right now, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be in a fight. I don't know that the superpowers are even that important to me. Mm. You know, I'm sure if one day I'm stuck in a car going down, and, mm. you know, in a lake that I'm be, I'll be grateful for the, for the training that may or may not kick in. Sure. But, you know, day to day, it's the, the reframing hard as, as something that's worthwhile mm. for me to become the kind of person that I want to be. Yeah. And, and that certainly transfers from Sistema to my work, yeah. to having conversations with people that might be difficult. To, to, it's, it's basically, you know, for me to build courage and tolerance of, of discomfort. Mm. Yeah, and that's um, that's I think that's a key thing that Sistema does very very well. Um, come back to the whole Jeff Colvin thing. He points out that the difference between just practice, like cranking out ten thousand hours, which is perfectly possible to do that and still suck at the end of ten thousand hours, right? If you do ten thousand poor hours, non mindfully. Um, but one of the things that he subdefines as deliberate practice is that it should hurt a bit, right? That it should it should be right it should be the edge of your comfort zone, right? It should be actively uncomfortable, not so terrible that you just lose ability, right? You just start falling apart because you're under so much stress and pressure. Um, you wouldn't throw your five year old into like a you know a concert performance right away right after they first started playing piano, right? although Mozart famously kind of did a bit of that. Um, but you, you want to be at the edge of your comfort zone all the time. And Sistema constantly asks us to do that, right? It asks you to stay kind of just on the edge of what you can handle and then pushes you a little bit beyond what you think you can handle. And then you just kind of keep expanding that comfort zone time after time until you get to a place where, like, wow, I'm amazed with what I'm, I can be comfortable with these days, right? <laughs> and you have to find more and more extreme ways of making yourself uncomfortable, right? But that's a good thing, right? And like, as you say, it carries over into your wider life. So I think a key aspect of Sistema practice is if, if you're comfortable throughout the entire class, you're probably not trying hard enough or you're probably not asking your partners to try hard enough, right? They're probably going too easy on you. They're maybe not hitting you hard enough. They're not pushing you hard enough. They're not testing your balance. Um, so it's important to stay right on the edge of, um, of your comfort. And, and that's definitely a key thing that we have to do in practice, I think. If you're comfortable all the time and you're starting to feel cocky and good, and good about your movement and your technique, probably you're not seeing the ways in which um, you could be tested a little bit more. Right. I was coaching someone today and we were talking about her perfectionism. Mm. And about how she was, she was always an A student, and and the difference between being an A student and actually getting the most out of the the course or the class or the experience, mm. right? So you can you can be, you can be an A student just by you know punching all the all the all the dots in your punch card yeah. without actually really going into it. Mm. And you know, the, the the thing I like about Sistema is that it's I don't know anyone who goes who goes to a class thinking they're going to be an A student. Yeah, beginners sometimes. <laughs> well, but yeah, people who come from other other martial arts and they're like, "Well, I pretty much already got a black belt, so this this can't be that much harder, right?" You see that sometimes. Yeah, but like, yeah. like all of us and you and mm. Vladimir and Mikhail, mm. I think go into it thinking, "Boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna work really hard. I'm gonna aim for an A, but I'll probably get a C. Mm. And if I get a C, then that's kind of how I know that I'm at my at that edge. Because mm. if I'm if I'm getting A's, if I'm if I'm feeling really comfortable. Yeah. Then, then I'm leaving a lot on the table. Yeah, yeah. I guess it also comes down to that kind of mindset thing as well, right? The famous Carol Dweck growth mindset versus fixed mindset, right? Mm. Um, that, that that famous experiment. I think it was with kids, right? I think she was a child psychologist first, um, and then went mm. into other aspects afterwards. And she noticed, I think it was like fifth graders or something. She was um, she would get them to do like a really difficult math task or something, and like 
half of them would just start making excuses halfway through. Like, this is boring. And they would kind of boot it into touch and, and give up the whole thing. Um, and half of them would kind of really get stuck into it. And she noticed that the ones who rated themselves as like good at math were really disappointed as the problems got. And I think the way the experiment was designed is that it got so much harder that they just couldn't do the problem, right? It's unsolvable. And so um, the ones who just consider themselves good at math, and then it was revealed to them that they maybe weren't as good as they thought, um, just kind of gave up. They kind of let go of it and they're like, well, no, I'm the kind of person that's good at math, so this problem must be stupid or something, right? And they walked away from it. Whereas the, the kids with the growth mindset, like, oh, I'm doing this to get better at it and did exponentially better. And then when you looked at outcomes later on, those kids did better as well on growth. And Sistema, I think, forces us into a growth mindset all the time because you can't show up and perform, right? It doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't work. You can't show up and just be like, I'm good at Sistema or I'm good at kicking or I'm good at dodging things. It's like, no, you're not. And we'll show you why, right? right. <laughs> kind of like that way. So it's like, you are to an extent, or maybe you're proud of certain abilities that you already have, but um, probably there's a circumstance under which that skill will fall apart or that ability will be shown to be not as strong as you think it is. And um, so what we need you to do is keep that learner's like empty cup open mind the entire time. So at the very minimum, I think it forces you to do that. And some people don't like that. You know, some people come in with that full cup already and, um, Sistema holds the mirror up to them and says, you're not as strong as you think you are, right? You're not as brave as you think you are. And I think it, especially on the question of fear and stress, which we've talked about before, if you suggest that people might be tense because they're afraid, like some people just take umbrage at that right away, right? Mm. They, they're like, I'm not afraid. Um, but, and, and sometimes I change the language a little bit because even the word fear, especially with men, I think, tends to kind of get their back up a little bit. And they're like, how dare you? I'm not afraid of anything, right? And that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right? But we use it in a different way in system, in a very honest way. We're like, you know, the, and some people rephrase it and say, oh, well, it's, it's not fear, it's just some anxiety or it's a bit of tension. It's like, yeah, it's still fear, right? It's, <laughs> it's just like, it's on the scale, it's just further down it. Well, you know, stuff, so. you're, you're an organism and you've evolved from other organisms. And if you didn't have sure. a fear circuitry, yeah. you wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Sure, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it's about acknowledging that and accepting what you can and can't do right now. And then being happy about the fact that that you can't do a lot of things and like being happy about what well, I'm here to practice, right? I'm not here to perform. I'm not here to show off what I can do already. I'm here to learn new things. And, and, and a lot of the way that Sistema is designed is to help us do that, to help us grow and not to perform. And, and, and sometimes I think people get frustrated because they don't get to show off, right? Mm. <laughs> they don't get to perform and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, the same way that um, Sistema striking or massage is honing in on tension and showing us tension we didn't know we had, mm. I think um, Sistema Practice does the same thing, at least for me, with pride. Mm. Like wherever I'm having some, some degree of pride, it's going to show me mm. that that's, a, that's actually a point of pain. Mm. But for a lot of us, we wear our attention like armor. Yeah. Right? And we think it's protecting us. Yeah. And we think it's going to keep us safe and make us strong, but it's actually you know, a weak point. And I think pride feels the same way. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Definitely. So on the subject of weak points... It have you found yourself doing that in training? Do you go into training with a, with a view to trying to identify a specific weak point and then work on it for a while? Or do you always kind of go in holistically and like, I'm just going to work on everything and see where it goes? Yeah, I, I feel like I have to work on everything just because it's all weak. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, um, there's, there's very few things that I feel like I can rely upon. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm often surprised when I can. You know, like, so I'll have some sort of light touch one day yeah, and feel like, oh, wow, this is really good. Or someone's lead, doing a lead and follow drill or a push drill. And I feel like I'm responding very supplely and mm. intuitively. And I'm like, wow, you know, mm. I, w I wish I could bottle that, but mm. I don't think I can. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes 
you'll point out like like here's something to think about during this particular drill. I think it's in some sense it makes sense to have a focus. Yeah. And in another sense it doesn't matter what the focus is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least for for me I don't I don't have any specific um skill deficit that feels any worse than any other. Mm. Like they're all they're all pretty you know I still feel very much like a beginner in almost everything. Okay. So yeah. it's, not, it's you know I, I imagine at some point maybe there'll be a gap like I'll attain skills yeah. and then there'll be something I can't do. Yeah. Um, you know whether it's and you know diagnostically like a you know a, a pull up or a, sure. the touching my feet behind my head in a in a leg raise. Yeah. You know it's something something to to work on that's kind of a um, you know the weak link in the chain. Yeah, and I think there is value to that sometimes, definitely because. You know, coming back to that whole idea of um, one way of approaching practice deliberately, um, and I think Tim Ferriss nicked this from Josh Waitzkin and his whole art of learning thing, right? He was the guy who was the chess prodigy. The uh, I think he was the focus for the waiting, searching for Bobby Fischer movie and all that kind of stuff. And then, mm-hmm. and then he went, he moved on from chess, and I think won the well. Tai Chi push hands championship in China or something. And then he's progressed from that now to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is very relevant to what we're talking about, right? He's going to martial mm-hmm. arts. And I think he approached everything with the same idea, which is rather than just show up and put into practice, let's look at the best people that there are, break down what they're doing, identify what it is that they can do that I just absolutely cannot, and then focus on one little thing at a time and then put them back together again and then go in. And and his part of his rationale is that if you have kind of like a keystone missing or there's something that all of the rest of your movement or technique is hinging on. It's just not there. Um, so in chess, for example, it might be openings, right? <laughs> if you just don't care how you open, then somebody who really knows how to end the, end the game within like eight moves will probably just own you right away mm-hmm. because you just weren't careful enough at the beginning. Or endings, right? If you really don't know how to close shut somebody down, you can just move pieces around indefinitely towards the end of the game until you've both got like a queen and a you know a queen and a, a, a rook left or something which is generally how i play, play chess i'm terrible right so we just end up just kind of this war of attrition um but so if you don't focus on those skills you can practice chess all day long but you'll just kind of you'll always be hindered by that one aspect and i think sometimes in sistema there are a couple of things like that right if you can't do a push-up um if you have um, very weak wrists if you haven't put the time in with something like wall walking or fist walking on the ground or on a partner or something like that you're just never going to be able to hit because you know you can get all the rest of the biomechanics right you can position yourself well you can read all the books and everything that comes into it but if your wrist isn't physically strong enough to bear the the load the instantaneous load of applying pressure to somebody else's body and it's going to bend under a certain amount of load um then it's always going to be a problem for you right so there's a minimum amount of work that needs to be done to fix that and and i think that becomes particularly relevant if you've had an injury right you, you're fine for a while and then maybe if you injure your wrist right or you injure your back um about a year ago i had like a extruded disc injury and so i had to focus on moving extraordinarily carefully um like around that for a while um, and i recovered from it very quickly it was like you know three of three weeks pretty much like back and i was back to almost like the other form and some people end up you know with months or years with disc injuries and all that kind of stuff right um i don't if i hadn't really focused in on that though on doing very small specific careful exercises like every day for a good amount of time to shore up that weak link I, I think I could be just be still having that injury now, right? And having real problems with it and that kind of stuff. So I think sometimes if somebody identifies something with you, when I go to HQ, sometimes it's, you know, one of the senior instructors or Vladimir is like, yeah, you need to study walking for a while. <laughs> just walk and, and practice putting your feet in certain orientations, um, practice 
you know, uh, shifting your weight from different parts, you know, leading from your knees or leading from your hips or leading from your chest and note the different sensation and see if you can put it back together again and move as one piece. You know, all of those kinds of things. Sometimes it's, it's worth it because if you can't walk, that's just going to be a detriment to everything else you're trying to do in a standing position in Sistema. And if you can't squat, um, then you're going to be so afraid of breaking at the hips and going down to the ground that it destroy, destroys your ability to change levels or even engage the ground safely when somebody's throwing you down, right? So sometimes it is worth doing that whole Pareto principle thing, the 2080 and being like, what's, you know, I haven't got all the time in the world to train. Um, I haven't got all the time in the world to put into practice outside of class. Um, so what is that 20% that I could do that's going to make an 80% difference in, in the result? And, and if it's wrist strengthening, then maybe put some time into that. If it's more mobility in the shoulders so that you can do a whole range of exercises and strike better with relaxed shoulders, then maybe shoulder flexibility is something that's working on for you know, mobility rather than flexibility is something that's worth working on for a while, right? So I think there is some value sometimes in that, in that separate out and focus in. Um, but the danger is that I think if we do that too much. If we disassemble Sistema too much, then we de-emphasize the connections between those pieces, right? Um, so it's, it's all very good to have a strong wrist and relaxed shoulders. Um, but if you lose focus of the whole of what, how you're trying to deliver the strike, right, where you're leading from, then that can fall apart. And, it, and it's great to focus just on your breathing for a while, um, or just on keeping your posture straight, right? But if you focus just on posture and not on breathing, then you lose that aspect of how one reinforces the other, right? Um, good structure, good posture allows good breathing. Um, good breathing reinforces good structure. And, you know, good breathing creates relaxation, which in turn allows for better quality of movement, right? So the, I, the connections between the things are critically important. And there's a kind of Venn diagram between, you know, for example, breathing, movement, structure and relaxation and while we might focus in on one of those little sets or circles for a while to fix something that we're not paying attention to like posture or breathing um i think we should spend probably most of our time in that in that confluence in the middle of the venn diagram and focus on that and then only kind of move to the extremities when we notice there's a problem right well i mean what, what i'm reminded of is you know i, I co-wrote a book on holism and reductionism and so it's in a, in a sense what we're talking about is are you taking a holistic approach or a reductionist approach? Sure. And the holistic approach doesn't preclude reductionism; mm. it includes it. Okay. So that if we're looking at so you know my book was about nutrition, it's not that we're we're not looking at individual nutrients and individual enzymes. Yeah. But we're we're not just looking at the individuals. So sure. that we're, so we're taking them and putting them into a larger whole. Okay. Um, and I would say that that. You know, having something to work on is one of the reasons it's it's important to have good training partners and good instructors because mm. they'll see things that we can't see. Yeah, about our about our own structure, our movement, and our and our experience. Mm. Um, another another thing I'd say is that almost always the things that we want to work on in that um, re more reductionist way. Mm are really fundamental things. Okay. They're very, so they're very like walking, breathing. Sure. They're the basics. Yeah. Right? Like if you wrote a book on Sistema and you just, and you didn't try to make it sexy at all, mm -hmm. it would be extraordinarily unsexy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Right? And so everybody, you know, in our culture, we all want the secrets. Sure. We want the shortcuts. We want the little tricks. Yeah. But it's always the fundamentals and the basics yeah. that are important. Absolutely, yeah. And Konstantin Komarov is very fond of saying this, right? Um, he calls that work like the boring but necessary, right? <laughs> He's like, if you don't put in that boring but necessary work, like the studying, just a push-up, studying, walking, um, then 
trying to acquire fancy techniques or superpowers and things that Vlad and other people can do, right? It's like trying to catch water in a sieve, right? Your, your body's just not prepared for it, right? It, you'll listen, you'll watch, and it will just flow through you, right? And, and you won't catch it for any significant length of right. time. That's it. Your body's just not prepared to be able to do it. So, And we, we yeah. feel gypped when we ask world-class performers for, for advice mm. and they tell us to focus on the, ba- on the sure. stuff that everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? We think there's some secret out there. Sure. Yeah, but it's crazy if you think about it. Though. There's, there's, a, there's a certain amount of arrogance in, in doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like jumping straight to a world-class performer and saying, just give me mm. the secrets. Because it's like, well, you haven't put the time in yet. You're not prepared to do it. And I, we got into this discussion in the pub after training last night. You wouldn't go to, you know, if you couldn't swim, you wouldn't go to Michael Phelps and say, so how do you swim? Right? <laughs> you know, you wouldn't, or you wouldn't might, may be surprised to be, if he told you, you need to go to the YMCA for a while and learn how to do a basic stroke and then i'll come back to you and teach you about alignment in the water and you know breathing and you know maybe some advanced drills where you push a brick along the bottom for like half a mile or something i've got what he does he's a fish i'm pretty sure he's just got gills anyway. but, um, but the but the thing is right you just wouldn't go to that person because you knew you know that it would be worthless for your almost worthless for your current state of development right he's probably forgotten most of what he already knows about how to swim and his where his usefulness will come in isn't just like this is this overarching idea of how to get from you know, the 99th percentile of best swimmers in the world to that extra 1%, right? That's what he can do, right? Um, so why would you go straight to him? So sometimes I think when people go straight to Vladimir or straight to a senior instructor, or even if they're, it's their first systemic class and they come to me and they'll be like, so what's the secret of this thing? What's the, what's the main thing I need to focus on? And I say, um, you know, learn to do a push-up, do ground engagement every day, do some work. And they're like, yeah, 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 that's, that's the basics. What else? You know, how can mm-hmm. I go? I'm like, no, that's it. That's for you. That's it right now. <laughs> and actually, it's not even for beginners. Like, even when people come later on, they're like, what do I need to do to fix things? I'm like, probably more of that same stuff, right? This is that boring but necessary, which is going to reinforce the foundation and allow you to acquire other stuff. I mean, not that that's even the goal, right? Acquiring more stuff and ability isn't even necessarily the goal. The goal is actually the process, right? It's the, it's the practice itself reveals things to to you about yourself and that's actually the goal it's just to reduce tension and uh, get to know yourself better or get to know your limitations um over Mm -hmm. time right so it's not even the achievement that you're striving for it's it's the process itself that's what it is and one other way i think that sistema feels countercultural to me is that there's now a movement to focus on your strengths Mm. Right. So and it makes sense in a in a networked environment. So if you're you know part of a company or, or a team, you want to bring your best stuff and work on that and become exceptional at what you're good at rather than shoring up all your weaknesses. Mm. But it feels like for for something as as holistic as Sistema, that it's all interconnected, that there's there's I can't I think of very few examples where a weakness that you can improve upon isn't going to improve something else. Like obviously mm. if you have a broken leg or some, some sort of limitation that you can't uh, overcome, yeah. you work around it and you, you, your training becomes how to become as good as you can given the limitation. Mm. But I think for, for most of us, it's, it's the weakness is the, is the 20 of the 80, 20. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that is interesting because it's, um, I think it comes back to what you said about mindset. It's like, well, why are you training? Is the goal to be the most excellent Sistema person in the world and beat other people at performing Sistema, right? Is, is that what you're trying to do? Because if so, maybe you should focus on those awesome takedowns that you could do and those amazing body movements and, you know, Edo, Edo Portal style, incredible kind of strength feats and calisthenics things and learn to do those even better. And then when you get together with people, you can show off, right? <laughs> like if that's, if that's the goal, 
then great, focus on your strengths, get even better at them and, and impress the heck out of everybody with your crazy one-arm push-ups, right? Um, but if it's not, if the goal is to get to know yourself better and to become a better person, right? And to show up differently with your family and, and you know, to, to be genuinely to be able to um, protect yourself and defend yourself in a wider range of circumstances and to, to live life with less stress and anxiety and kind of less of riding kind of the waves of emotion. All, all those things come from that holistic look at your whole self um, mm -hmm. and probably the weaknesses are going to be better to focus on. I mean, it's interesting. I, I think in your uh, Plant Yourself podcast, I was listening to a, a fairly recent episode with uh, mm -hmm. Dave Evans. Uh -huh. and, uh, and who's the other guy? I can't remember uh -huh. now. They're designers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bill Burnett. Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, right? Um, and they were talking about in their, in their field that um, people often start to think about shoring up their weaknesses and they're like, no, sometimes that's a waste of time, right? You could put so many hours into becoming, going from uh, being a C student into a B student and so what? But if you're an, already an A student in something else, then why not just work at that until you're the best of the world in it, right? That works if what you're trying to do is become a niche expert in a small field, right? So if you're becoming a niche expert in push-ups or pull-ups, right? <laughs> or a niche expert in the kind of uh, specific calisthenic thing, right? Um, then that's the mindset that you're following and that's, that might be the best way forward, but that's not what you're doing Sistema, right? We're not trying to be the best in the world at push-ups. We're not trying to be the best of the world, even at martial arts or self-defense. I don't think, right? We're trying to be the best people we can be in the world, right? And most of the time that has more to do with looking at where we're fundamentally weak or we have the wrong view of ourselves, right? And um, then it does with focusing on the things we already think we're good at and making them even better. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, a fundamental view of the, the human being as, um, f you know, full of potential. Mm. Yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. I like it. Cool. So, so one question that I get asked um, on a kind of more practical level is um, with practice is that what can I do or like how should I practice on my own, right? What's, mm. what's the things that I should focus in on um, if there's one or two things? Um, so I thought I'd kind of offer a couple of things in a, in a, like take this away and do it thing rather than just, you know, pontificate and verbalize in about these things in general generalities, Like there's more specifics and things that you can do. Uh, and some things that I found are really uh, worthwhile, but mostly have been recommended by Constantine or Vladimir or other instructors are like a daily dose of, of course, breath work, like start the day with um, some light breathing and um, using the breathing to scan your body and taking that bit of time to kind of note tension injuries, or if you're, you know, emotional state is elevated or your heart rate is up, taking the time to kind of reset yourself at least once a day, like mm -hmm. the beginning of the day, and ideally a couple of times, right? And then eventually throughout the day, right? You just kind of monitor yourself. So breath work's key. Ground engagement's another one. Just taking that time to do those exercises where you move um, from supine face up to prone in various ways, leading from different parts of the body, sitting up, laying down, moving to your knees, and just kind of getting that fear of um, being in contact with the ground or changing position in three dimensions because we just don't practice that much beyond the age of two, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's important to kind of get that back out. And th that previous podcast we did on movement, I think we and we talked quite a little bit about that as well. Um, so that's two things. Um, and then some others I found are studying those basic four exercises: the the squat, the push up, the body raise, and the leg raise. Um, but after a while, people are like, well, how many? How can I really study it? Right? Once I can do a push up, I can do one. Maybe let's see if I can do 100, 200, right? All that kind of stuff. You can do them with different breathing patterns. So what, right? I, I can kind of do that and it seems like a waste of time. But it's, I think there's a lot more depth that you can give to that. Um, and one of the most valuable exercises I've found um, is just to do one each of those things every morning. 
Um, so to just do one really slow push up and just check yourself throughout the various parts of that range. It's take like a minute to go down and up um, and then see where you start to collapse or where you start to brace up. Um, and just never let yourself off of that idea, just that you have to do at least one of those every morning. I, th I think Matt Hill in the UK calls this his daily non-negotiables, right? It's like mm -hmm. I might work on various things at various times, but my non-negotiable is every day I do a push-up, a pull-up. Actually, he adds in the pull-up, I think, and I've been doing that for a couple of years too. That's a useful mm -hmm. one. Um, but to at least do that once a day and, and look at it. And then I think there's various ways that you can study how you deliver power in those. Um, in a seminar when he came through last year, uh, Martin Wheeler had us doing body raises, right? Um, but with uh, a stick threaded through your kind of arms and shoulders, like medieval stocks or something, right? Like people are pelting you with rotten vegetables. Um, and then that completely changes the, the muscle groups that you're trying to use to sit up, or it doesn't allow you to cheat and kind of pull with shoulder muscles and upper abdominals and things like that. And so you have to find different muscles to get up. And people found it extraordinarily difficult and were just kind of failing for the first five or 10 minutes. But what was interesting is that you'd think that you just get tired and then you get worse at it. But as people kept going and you had us doing it for like half an hour, people actually found a way of doing it after a while, showing that it was, it's a neurological skill, right? Mm. That strength is a skill that you have to practice in order to get it right. So things like that, I think limiting yourself in various ways. The leg raise is another one where instead of just cranking out leg raises, um, and I think we've done this one after a while when you were talking about having trouble doing leg raises without arching your back a lot or you get pain in the lumbar spine. That mm. exercise where you point your feet straight up and you start at vertical, and then you slowly lower your legs down to the point at which you feel your lower back come off the ground. And at that point, you bring them back up and you keep them flat and you sequentially kind of lower them lower and lower until you can get all the way to the ground without having to tense up your lower back. Um, and then you start cranking out some leg raises right after that. So, so I think there's lots of these exercises you can do. And, and the other one that I really like is walking with um, special attention to the surfaces of the feet. Right? And we do this once in a while in class. Um, and I like to do it out on hikes and things with my family and you know, just while the kids are playing, running about, you can kind of just go into yourself a little bit and, and rather than just walk and assume that you're walking the right way to maybe walk on the outside edges of your feet for a short distance and then the inside edges of your feet and then try walking just on your heels um, and then just on the balls of your feet. And then you notice the different tension patterns that come up in your body, how it's different or wrong when you, when you start to do any of those things. And then maybe turning the toes towards each other and then away from each other, kind of Charlie Chaplin style, kind of waddling around, putting the feet apart, very wide stance. So you start to kind of shift the weight very obviously from one side to another, and then very close together, like you're walking on a tightrope. And then once you've done all of those things, and then you come back to neutral, you, you find what neutral is, and your foot starts to engage the ground as a whole, as one piece, right? And you can't force that to happen, but through the contrast and doing it wrong, you're studying walking then, right? And then when you walk after that, you, you have this new awareness and sensation of what you're doing so this is the kind of boring but necessary stuff that i think really pays dividends in the long run so it, in answer to that question that's that's one of the things that i would really say and our other interview guests there's other you know instructors who all have their own things but very rarely does some of them come up in answer to that question like, what do you do for your training and they say oh i crank out x number of push-ups every day this number of pull-ups they normally say the same kind of thing right it's like i do a little breath work i douse you know, I, I maybe do a push-up, I do a squat. And this is what they mean. It's not like, eh, absent-mindedly, I just do a push-up and I do a squat. It's, it's like they probably do an extraordinarily mindful one and they check every aspect of what they're doing, right? Um, so this, this, for me, has been really useful. But I mean, I'll be interested to know if you've incorporated anything in your daily practice. What does your daily wake-up look like? Um, well, it's not as good as this. <laughs> in fact, that's, this is one of the things I, w I was happy to talk to you about. Because, you know, every time we have a... A private session. I'm like, can you like make a recording of that for me? Yeah. Because I feel, I, you know, 
I feel like it's so much easier for me, so much less friction to just have someone else talk me through it. Mm. Even if it's, you know, when you talk us through the breath, the, the breath scan diagnostic in class, mm-hmm. um, I'm still doing the work, mm. but I'm being guided a little bit. Right. So in the in the morning, I will I'll, these days I'm doing about 20 minutes of meditation. Okay. Uh, about 20 minutes. I'm doing the Wim Hof breath work because he has an app and okay. yeah. Sistema doesn't. <laughs> we must fix that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I paid 3.99 for that sucker, so yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to use it. We're going to jump up. We're going to do one at 2.99. How we were at so It'll be 67 percent as good, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and then I'll do. T- typically either a, a strength workout or a, a run. Okay. Uh, but I'm not doing the the breath diagnostic. Mm. And I'm thinking like I want to include that. Here's the, the, tr- the problem for me is like I my morning routine could be nine hours long if yeah. I did all the things that I think are good for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's, that's it's a difficult thing sometimes because there is so much that you could practice, right? And then so, we've joked before when we've gone up to HQ – um, Emmanuel Manolakakis in particular is very fond of doing this, right? It's like, guys, you should, you know, this practice of standing against the wall and taking on the structure of the wall and what you should do this every day. And we're like, oh, cool, excellent, I should do that every day. And then we go to the next class and he's like, guys, this thing where you could just uh, feel the weight in your hands and then you feel the floor and then you should do this every day. And there's at least 50 things over, over the years I think that, that Manny's recommended. Every day you should do those, right? And I'm not clowning Manny on this one. He's a phenomenal instructor. He's brilliant. But he's right, right? That you should probably do these every day, at least until you feel like you're comfortable with them but like how do you choose which things to exclude right it's, it's not what you could do it's not what you exclude um one way of approaching that is to spread things out through the day i found this is really really helpful for me so especially since i've had kids little kids right there's a whole routine to it like one of them gets up at six in the morning and you know you have to start getting them ready for school and that, all that kind of stuff the other one's the baby wakes up like an hour later and she's got the diaper change and you have to do a bunch of other stuff so it's um you don't get that luxury of oh, I'm just going to hang out for like an hour first thing in the morning and do a bunch of stuff, unless you want to get up at five and do it before everybody's conscious, which I do not, frankly, right? <laughs> most of the time. So then you have to be like, well, I've only got probably 20 minutes, half an hour before everything hits the fan here. So what am I going to cram in first thing in the morning to make it work? So for me, it's, it's breath work. Well, I douse. I do some breath work, tension, isolation work, stretch a little bit. And then I do one each of those exercises, right? So I'll do a push-up, a squat, a body raise, a leg raise, I also do like a pull-up, a slow pull-up the same way. You'll take like a 30 seconds to go up, 30 seconds to go down, um, and a bridge. So I arch my back and go into like a bridge position because I feel like that counteracts some of the stuff you're doing with leg raises and uh, mm. and body raises, right? And I find that balances me out very well and shows weaknesses or little twinges that I might have from last night or something, right? Um, and then if I have a bit more time, if, you know, my wife's taking the kids to school or something, I'm like, oh, wow, I've got another whole half an hour. Then I might do some more study. I might study some more um, strength work or I might go for a half an hour walk or a run or do some more stuff. If I don't, then I go out, I start working. And then an hour later, a little chime on my iPhone goes off and I'm like, oh, I have like five minutes right <laughs> at, the, at the top of the hour. And then I'll do some, I'll do another slow squat, slow push up or something, or I'll do some extra mobility work to loosen up my shoulders. An hour later, I'll do five minutes of mobility work on the hips and so on. And then throughout the day, you start kind of adding in at least like another hours of hour of training, right? In kind of small increments that you do throughout mm. the day. And so I, that's one way. The, another way is to periodize things, right? So it's maybe for a, a, a week or for a month, you focus in on one thing. So I'm going to focus on breath work for endurance, and I'm going to prioritize that in my training. You still maybe do your daily non-negotiables, right? Um, but then you focus on, well, I'm definitely going to do lots of breath stretching, walking or running with breath stretching, 
to try and focus in on that. And then next month I shift to something else. I'm focusing to um, maybe pyramids of push-ups and squats to kind of work on my efficiency of form and maybe kind of breath hold stuff. The, the next month you might work on mobility and just trying to kind of uh, find new movements or but get more comfortable on the ground, something like that. And then you come back around again. And then in the course of a year, then you'll, you'll cover a lot of ground. Um, and it won't have been more than three months before you really focused in on something. And some people really um, do this very, very well. Gene Smithson, I think, um, does that a lot with his own training, periodizes and, and really enjoys that. So Gene Smithson of uh, Austin, Sistema and Tai Chi, he's on another podcast. If you didn't hear that one, that's really good to listen to. So, so there's a couple of approaches to trying to cram and get the best, best use of your day with um, practice and training that way. Um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, I think. You know, it depends what your work schedule is, what else you have to do. I'm fortunate in that I get to teach private classes and Sistema classes, so if I miss, you know, I, after my negotiables, I'm like, mm, I didn't do much mobility work today. I just do that for the first half an hour of class, and everybody gets to do it with me. Right? So <laughs> they get to just participate in my training. That's, that's the benefit of being an instructor. Yeah, I guess for me, the, the big mindset shift there is thinking about, like you, you, the way you were saying, hey, I've got another 20 minutes, I get to do this. Mm. It's like thinking about it as I get to rather than I have to or I should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a... In that same way as the the violinists at the at the school, right? It's, it's the ones that enjoy picking it up and fiddling about. They're the ones that are going to stick with it over time. It's, and usually, it's consistency, right? If you if you stick with it over time, it's much more valuable than just going full bore and you know doing it really intense twice a week because that will probably fall off, right? Like extreme diets, all the same kind of thing, right? So when you advise your clients on nutrition, right, you probably don't just say to them, "All right, tomorrow you're going to change everything 100 percent." good luck and if you don't i'm going to ridicule you right so it's it's about incremental change leading to big change right or, or isn't it i don't know yeah yeah sure it's uh mm. you know you you want the thing to become a lifestyle and sure. in our culture everything is a heroic sprint mm. or or got to have it quickly yeah you know that's another way in which sistema is very countercultural. yeah it's like okay let's do this thing for the rest of our lives and we're never going to get there yeah and ultimately life then becomes practice right I think that's that's the big part of what it's about. And I think there was a point a few years ago um, when I went up to HQ and um, and Vlad, you know, I was working with Vladimir like one-on-one um, during the class and then he was kind of pointed out a few things that I need to work on. And he's like, he's like, Glenn, for you at this point, he goes, you should be practicing all the time. And I was kind of indignant. I was like, I do. I, 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 train, I train so many hours a week. I teach all these classes. I get up in the morning. I train like a minimum of two two and a half, three hours a day, you know, for myself outside of classes and stuff. I'm not training all the time, you know, so it's like, no, 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 all the time. He goes, driving in your car, you know, <laughs> walking around opening doors. It's just like, you're not doing that. And I can see it, right? He could mm-hmm. see that, that I had segregated in my mind, like training time. And then now I'm going to veg out and watch Netflix. Or now I'm going to drive like a gangster with my arm up on the thing and <laughs> slouched in the chair at a weird angle. And it's like, and that, that time that you're not spending training, works against all those other hours. So it's a little bit trying trying to like out-exercise a bad diet or something like that, right? right. It just doesn't work. You, it's, it's more... You're, you're, yeah, all, you you're always it. training something. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. We're always practicing something. Yeah, you're either training bad habits or good mm-hmm. ones. And I was spending too much time training bad habits. So I tried to work myself out of those and spend a little less time in the gangster position mm-hmm. in the car and a little less time <laughs> on Netflix. So, yeah, so and that has paid off. And, and I think it's made me a little less... Um, crazy about having to try and get my training time in as well right it's made me happier about spacing things out because i'm like yeah i'm training all day let's 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 commit to that rather than commit to x number of repetitions of push-up or whatever per day 
Well, thanks very much, man. That was a fruitful discussion. Went to some places that I didn't expect it to go, but I hope it was useful for you. Cool, yeah, and I'm hoping there's a card in the recorder now now that I think about it. (laughs) And with that, I'll see you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about training at NC Sistema, you can visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. If you'd like to find out more about Sistema classes and seminars worldwide, please visit www.russianmartialart.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please take a few minutes now to give us a review on iTunes. This is probably the best way of helping us get the word out. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future guests and discussion topics, please contact us via www.ncsystema.com or email me directly at glenn at ncsystema.com. That's glenn with two n's at ncsystema.com. We welcome your feedback. Many thanks, good health, and see you in training.